0: Hello, and welcome to the Taking Control of Your Diabetes podcast. My name is Dr. Steve Edelman. I have diabetes myself. I'm also an endocrinologist at UCSD and the VA here in San Diego. And unfortunately, my good friend and colleague, Jeremy Pettis, and co-host, is not here today. But I am here with a very good friend, Stacey Sims, who wrote a book about what we're going to talk about today, The World's Worst Diabetes Mom. Real Life Stories of Parenting a Child with Type 1 Diabetes. So, Stacy, welcome. Uh, tell us about yourself and how you got to this point in your career and all the things you're doing now.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to talk to you. It's always a good time, Steve. My son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was 23 months old. So, this was back in 2006. He is now almost 19. Um, my background was in broadcast journalism. I was a news reporter at the time. I, I've worked in TV and radio, and I was a health reporter. So, I knew like this much about diabetes. Um, but it was a real shock to us, just like so many other parents of, of kids who are diagnosed. And over time, um, my career evolved. I had left the radio station I was working for. I wanted to start a a podcast. Uh, I wanted to start a sort of news focused podcast. I'm a lay person. I'm not a medical professional. And so that's what I did. Um, and that led me to meet so many cool people, including yourself and all the folks at TCOID. Um, but I wrote the book that you referred to, The World's Worst Diabetes Mom, because I felt like that on a lot of days, especially after social media came along. And I, I felt like I needed to speak to parents who were far from perfect with diabetes and tell them it was going to be okay. <laughs>
0: Well, that's awesome, and you know, you have a broadcast voice. You have the gift of gab, Mm -hmm. and uh, does Benny, your son, have that as well?
1: Oh my gosh, he does! So my my husband and I are both, you know, kind of extroverted, and Benny is especially like this. But we have a daughter too, who's like the secret introvert of the family. Um, She's three years older than Benny, and she, you know, she just does not want to be. On social media, on the podcast, she's like, "Leave me alone." So it's funny.
0: Well, just to jump to a topic that may not be exactly germane to being the world's worst mom, but it might be: <laughs> was that was did you not give your daughter enough attention once Benny got diabetes?
1: Um, the honest answer is absolutely, I, and I don't think there's any way around that. Um, you know, Leah was almost five when Benny was diagnosed, and our whole life flipped upside down. Um, in fact, I. I shouldn't have said she never wants to talk about it because she was so generous, and she did a whole interview with me uh, for the podcast, which I put into the, into the second book actually. Because I think it's really important to talk about siblings and how we, you know, we. I hate to say it like this, but we we shortchange them. You you can't get around that, and I think being honest with them is the best way to do it. We did so many things to try to make up for that. You know, I did girls' days with her. We did trips away. We did times where, you know, we'd be at an event and my husband would be the diabetes guy and I would just be with my daughter. And I think you can try and do everything you can. But at the end of the day, diabetes is so demanding, especially in a two-year-old, you know, until the, the child is more independent, you can't help it. So I know it might have sounded harsh for me to answer your question so affirmatively, right? No, I didn't give her enough attention. But it would be lying to say that it was otherwise. It's very tough.
0: You know, you know Stacy. I asked you because I think I knew the answer already based on talking to other parents. You know, the other kids get shortchanged not only on not having any sweets in the house or locked up, but just, you know, listen, you guys are scared to death. You got a kid with a serious condition. And you know what? I never even knew you had a daughter till just now, because you yeah. never talked about her, you never mentioned her, and I'm sorry I missed that podcast, which I'm going to go back and listen to. Um, now we had uh, a gentleman on named John Mardikian, great guy. He had a three year old that came down with type one, and he had to fight and navigate through Children's Hospital here in San Diego. I, I hate to say it on the air, but um, they weren't very supportive. Mm. and maybe because they were overrun with so many new diagnoses. And his podcast was more about the initial couple days and weeks uh, and dealing with the healthcare system. Maybe you could talk about some of your experiences raising a kid with type 1 diabetes. And we'll get to college in a second, so don't <laughs> don't talk about that yet.
1: Sure. You know, it's funny. I, I always say we we are some of the luckiest people you'll ever meet. Uh, with a family uh, with a with a type one diagnosis, because we had incredible support from the beginning. Now, part of that is because of me. As I said, I worked in radio and TV. I was very coincidentally, I was the MC for the JDRF charity golf tournament in Charlotte for many years before my son was diagnosed. So I used to meet these families and do these interviews, you know, tell me about the difference between type one and type two. You've seen these terrible (laughs) interviews on your local TV station, right? Where the reporter's like, his blood pressure, it's blood pressure, right? You know, or his blood glucose is, I mean, I was like, I knew nothing, but I met all these families. So when my son was diagnosed, I remembered immediately, okay, these kids were happy and healthy. I knew some of these kids. They, you know, one of the kids told me he ate Pop-Tarts sometimes for breakfast i don't even know how that came up but you know it, it really was normalized in a way for me before i entered the community and i had those people to call and say please help so raising a kid with type 1 even with that kind of wonderful support and knowledge is like a circus especially when they're teeny tiny and this was 2006 so no cgm certainly you know no pump for 6 months they were very strict about that because of our insurance company and we didn't know any different so we did what we could. You know, the first two weeks were a complete nightmare of holding him down because all the people he loved were suddenly stabbing him. He didn't know why. <laughs> and you can't explain, right? You can't explain to a two-year-old, well, you know, this will actually make you feel better and you'll be able to eat more and you'll feel-. no, none of that. So two weeks was horrendous. And then it kind of gradually got better. He was um, ambidextrous, which we didn't realize. So he didn't need to stop what he was doing. He would hold out his hand for a blood sugar, you know, a a finger prick. He would hold out his leg for a shot. I mean, as long as he could play with Legos or whatever, he was good. But we made a lot of mistakes and we we were determined to continue to move forward. And that meant a lot of ups and downs. You know, we did I mean, it's, it's funny to think about now. Steve, what kind I know of mistakes? You
0: know, what kind well, of mistakes? You
1: know, when you're checking blood glucose every two to three hours, you miss a lot,
0: mm-hmm. especially
1: with kids with volatile blood sugar. So I remember, I don't know, four weeks after diagnosis, maybe, we were visiting my parents who live, I'm in Charlotte, they live in Florida. So we took this trip, which we had planned. We were at a children's museum or something. And my son is the youngest of the grandkids. And we're watching them play. And he kind of stumbled. And he's a very coordinated kid. And we looked at each other and we said, you know, he probably needs a nap. He's probably just tired. So we put him in the stroller. You know where this is going. And he's about to fall asleep. And I said, you know, I think we're supposed to do a finger stick. Mm -hmm. I think it's time. And my husband's like... Yeah, we should do it. And I said, we should probably just let him go to sleep. Like he's tired. He said, no, let's do it. And he was, you know, of course, 47 or some horrible number. So my husband ran to get juice. You know, we're freaking out because I don't, I mean, I had stuff in my bag, but could he chew? He's a toddler. So he came back and I'll, I'll never forget, I called the endocrinologist. You know, we left, we packed everything up. We left my daughter with my mom. We're like, we have to go. That was an emergency. And I said, well, what do we do for the rest of the day? And he said, what are you talking about? What's his blood sugar now? I'm like, I don't know, 120. They're like, just go on with your day. And I couldn't, <laughs> I remember thinking, how can that possibly be a go on with your day moment? But you know, you learn. And I, I mean, gosh, I wrote the, the whole, the whole first book is about all the mistakes we make. You know, how many times can your elementary school student walk into school with no insulin in his pump? Right. How,
0: you know, you go into a restaurant, and you, you didn't do everything. that. Did you?
1: Oh, my son, oh,
0: you, so wait, by 5th grade. Wait, you didn't put any insulin in his pump?
1: Uh, I say, you, Does maybe, he have a
0: good life insurance policy? <laughs> um,
1: you can't Stacey, tell me. You've never walked into a restaurant and all of a sudden, beep, beep, beep. Yeah. The pump's like empty. Never. Yeah. Yeah,
0: of course. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't do that to my kid. Um, you oh, are yeah. the world's mm-hmm. worst mom. <laughs> hey, Stacy, what's the name of your first book? I should it's know the, that. It
1: is The World's Worst Diabetes Mom. That is the first book. The second one is still The World's Worst Diabetes Mom. Seriously? It, it, it really is. I <laughs> wanted to call it The World's Worst Diabetes Mom Rides Again, but my publisher was not into that. So, yeah.
0: Well, you know what? Um, it's it's great. to It's very refreshing to talk to someone who's honest about the real-life experiences. And I don't think there's a parent on this earth of someone with type 1 that does not relate strongly to what you're saying. Uh, so, I mean— you know, we all make mistakes with our own diabetes, but it's 23 months old. I mean, for the listeners, you have to realize that's younger than the typical diagnostic diagnosis age. 23 months is, is a toddler. And, um, you know, how do you tell when they're low? You know, they stumble around and you guys did figure it out. And as an endocrinologist, I've gotten those calls from patients who just knew to diabetes and scared to death. You know, you just got to be patient and empathetic along the way. But for the listeners, again, 23 months is tough uh, for the parents. And did you, did you do a lot of fighting with your husband over like what to do, what not to do? Did you almost get divorced over having a kid with type one or did it bring you closer together?
1: This is a great question. I never get asked about my husband, Steve. What a great question. No, it brought us closer together. But we have a very i think we have a very unusual marriage in that we both worked we were very career oriented and we both hashed this all out even before we had kids i left for work this is before his diagnosis i left for work every day at 3:30 in the morning because i worked morning radio and my husband owned a restaurant and so he was not home until midnight there was a lot of i'm i'm the one in charge and i'm the only adult in the house my husband did mornings with the kids and I did nights and he's he's a very capable guy and I had to learn very early on that we were not going to do things the same way even before diabetes right he was mm-hmm. going to do breakfast his way he was going to do school drop off whatever i was going to do evenings my way and we just had to accept that so i think we were fortunate in a way that when diabetes came along i am not a wife and he is not a husband who said my way or the highway you know it's like it's like loading the dishwasher right some people can get a divorce over how you load the dishwasher.
0: Yeah, my ex wife and I.
1: Oh well, see there you go.
0: <laughs> I hope I hope Ingrid's not listening. <laughs> She's Those the mother cops. of my daughter's the cops go
1: on the top <laughs> Steve. So it's it's the same thing in a weird way with diabetes. My husband managed Benny very differently and it would frustrate me sometimes because from an yeah. early age he would kind of push him to be more independent. He would he wouldn't want to do things the same way. He would, you know, it used to drive me a little crazy. But at the same time I would recognize, look, I I can't micromanage this. I'm not there. And I didn't want to quit my job. Um and so we we had we definitely had some tension. But we're really lucky in that we communicate over it, and we laugh about it now. We still have the same kind of tension, because I want to do everything. I mean, my, my, I'm an empty nester. I still want to do everything for my kids. And my husband's well, that, like, take a breath.
0: <laughs> yeah, That's that's really the mark of a strong marriage. You know, when you get something that's very disruptful for everybody, you come together. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I... You know, did he ever give your son Tricks and you said no? That's sugary cereal. But Benny wanted Tricks. I always mention Tricks because it's my favorite cold cereal. (laughs) I don't think there's anything we do. I don't mention Tricks. We did a great uh, dose of Doctor E and P. It's it's called um, uh, what's the name of it? Something about cereal box. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I did a I did a nice video called Cereal Killers. But cereal is C E R E A L. Uh. It's a long story, but. Uh, and, answer, and I'll answer your question for you. It sounds like you guys did quite well. Well, you mentioned something quite important is independence. You know, I think I've seen a lot of parents, uh, hover over their kids and they don't let them do anything on their own. You know, it comes from a place of love. Uh, and then you mentioned that, um, he tried to get your son independent quicker than you thought or you liked. Tell us about independence. What's your recommendation for the listeners?
1: Yeah. Well, we were one of the stories we heard very early on. We had an incredible diabetes educator who recently retired, Lynette Steinman, who has two kids. Well, they're they're grown men now. And she has two kids with type one. And I'm laughing because the older one is an endocrinologist now. But Lynette told me a story when my son was two years old, the first time I met her of a young man. She was helping it was one of her patients. He was going to college. He'd never given himself an injection before. No way. And she it was it, yep. It was the summer before school had started and he'd never done his own injections. So she said, I just don't want Benny to end up like that. And I was like, there's no way like we're going to get this kid going as soon as we can. So the short answer to your question, Steve, is we pushed independence gradually, but early in Mm -hmm. ways that made sense, because I'm I was brought up. To be a very independent person, um, you know. I knew I was going to go away to college. Probably not move back home. I wanted the same thing for my kids. It, it suits our personalities and our parenting style. So that's how we were going to raise our kids anyway—to grow up and get out. And I wanted that for Betty. I wanted, just like my older, my daughter. I wanted them to travel and have adventures and go to camp—not just diabetes camp, but like summer long summer camp, like I did. So we started very early. Um, I, you know, I can share as much detail as you want, but. You know, we were telling him before he went to kindergarten that in kindergarten, big boys check their own blood sugar. And so we mm-hmm. taught him how to finger stick. And he was doing that and using his pump with supervision and just step by step. It's like, you know, with parenting, you do everything gradually anyway, so that your kid isn't 18 years old and has never given an injection to himself.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's great advice. Now, one thing I know you're passionate about is um, how much has social media changed parenting. It's oh. changed everything. Yes. And I know that, um, well, I'll let you tell us your, your opinion in your own words.
1: Oh, I would love to hear more from, I mean, I'd love to hear more from you too, Steve. I mean, my, my concern is, you know, Benny was diagnosed, like I said, it was a couple of years before the iPhone. And Facebook, I think at the time was just for college students, and the early days of diabetes online stuff was a lot of blogging. I found some blogs early on. Um, I, I I very much resonated with the adults with type one who were writing. Mm-hmm. I really was was drawn to those blogs because I felt like it was a time machine. Like that's how he could be, and I wanted to know those stories. But as Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter and everything really took off, you know, we're we're people. We like to compare. We like to look at numbers and contrast and see how we're doing with other people. And it almost seemed like, a, and I don't know if you saw this in your practice or with your patients, but like when CGM came in and more commonly, now there was really something to measure, not just an A1C that you could post about, but there yeah. were minutes, data, hours of data. You could really go to town saying, what a great day I had. And I started feeling worse and worse about my parenting, the more time I spent on social media. My kid was happy. The endocrinologist was telling me he was healthy, but his numbers weren't as great as so many other people that I saw online. His time in range wasn't as great. And I really started to feel lousy about myself. So I started talking to other moms I knew in real life and we all felt the same way. It was suddenly we had to keep up. And I just, a bunch of us stopped, we agreed to completely stop sharing any numbers at all online. And that was a huge help to me. But it's it's been very difficult because the comparison, you know, what is that? The comparison is the thief of joy. Um, you know, we mm-hmm. all we all know where we should be with diabetes, right? If you have any education and, and, you know, I'm so lucky to have great healthcare folks in Benny's life. We know where we should be. We've seen studies, you know, but to to see the relentless... My way or the highway posts really got to me,
0: yeah, and I think that's that's what's happened to social media. There's so many good things about it, but man, uh, I think in certain areas, things have gotten out of control. and then, of course, you probably get responders to your blog, and there's some mean people out there, you know, um and you just have to ignore them and hopefully they have a happy life. Um, <laughs> have 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 you ever seen a therapist for all the stresses you go
1: through? <laughs> love this question. Yes. Okay. So I, um, I love therapy. I wish our healthcare system paid for it because everybody should be in therapy. Um, mm-hmm. when I without, agree. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Um, I didn't actually feel like I needed to talk to somebody until my daughter went to college. And mm-hmm. then in 2019, she went away to school and I thought, well, what am, who am I? What's going on with me? And, um, I didn't think it was about diabetes at all, but the more we dug in, um, it was, you know, it really was a great chance for me to share a lot of what has been on my mind for all these years and my concerns of going forward so yeah i have i've been in in therapy you know i don't go every week but since 2019 and it is phenomenal
0: well it's in, it's important you're out of the closet on that and i do too oh, um and i great. think it's it's a total uh gift and privilege to be able to talk to someone that's not so close to your everyday life to give you some good advice because I notice you kind of blame yourself for a lot of things you do it in a joking manner but since I'm you know a therapy sensitive organ you know I can pick that up in people and so and that's probably why you're so well adjusted at least when I talk to you <laughs> but I'll be
1: honest with you Steve I mean I have I have prioritized independence with Benny. I, he's done so many wonderful things. He will tell you that he's like super happy. He's cool with diabetes, whatever. But I worry sometimes that I have, you know, like I said, I don't share numbers. I will tell you his A one C has never been below six. And I wonder sometimes have I given up, you know his his future health.
0: For- six where'd you well, get that information he's from? not
1: Re- at six i just read your her-
0: chest <laughs> i'm
1: just sharing like extremes less, here i don't want
0: <laughs> less than six is way too low stacy oh i, sure I know you- but
1: you see the parents in my groups tell me tell me differently they're he's crazy
0: not- trust me they're he's not at six right now either in college you know what's you know why it's crazy because if you look at a lab test it says what's normal less than six, but that's for people that don't have diabetes. The, as you know quite well, the goal would be less than seven and even less than 7.5 is a super safe range. Yeah. So that's what happens when you start talking to people that are zealots of A1C. They're the ones causing a lot of hypoglycemia in themselves and their, their loved ones. But um, So when you said six just now, that, well, that I was surprised teasing, but- me.
1: I wish I could reach through the Zoom and give you a hug because it's so reassuring. And I, I tell people that all the time when you look at the study, 7.5 or below is really safe. And they don't believe me anymore because of all of the focus on super low A1Cs and super high time and range. And I said that just if, if it went by quickly, I said that number lower than 6 to to kind of exaggerate because, mm-hmm. again, I don't share Benny's numbers. But trust me, we are we are high. Well, I shouldn't say we. Oh my gosh, it's so bad to say we. He is—he's—he's he's in college, right? I mean, he's not—you uh, know—he's in a different place right now. But well, I, I do worry sometimes. Like, did I not, you know? And that's why I'm in therapy. Did I not make him perfect enough, a perfect diabetic?
0: Yeah. Well, the whole time and range thing—it's important. Uh, but you know, when people say time in range, you've got to say slash time below range. And mm. with these hybrid closed loop systems that Benny is on, you can get your A1C pretty damn good without hypo. So it's a whole new world of type one. So tell me about uh, the process of sending your kid to college. Did you say, let's send him to a local college so we can come home every day and you can give them lunch and or send them away where you can't just drive and get there within an hour?
1: oh, I want him living here and going to college down the street. But no, I told him he could go anywhere. And he took me up on that. So he is, <laughs> yeah, he's six hours away. And, um, you know, the process of, of college, and again, this is with with my child with, and my child without diabetes, began much earlier because, you know, I think it's very difficult if you've never been away from home to suddenly go away for a semester. So many started going to diabetes camp when he was six. Or seven, I think. And he went for a week. So it must have been when he was seven years old. He went away for a week to diabetes camp. And then when he was nine, we started sending him to regular sleepaway camp Mm -hmm. for a month. And my daughter had gone to this camp and she absolutely loved it. And she would come home every summer and say, Benny, you've got to go. It's going to be great. And I would always say, he's never going to this camp. Stop talking it up. But... He reminded me, you know, the things we say to our kids, he's like, well, you said diabetes wouldn't stop me. And I was like, why did I say that? (laughs) So we called the camp and they were very receptive. They would not take care of him. They were not going to press buttons on his pump, give him injections or check his blood sugar, but they would work with me to make it safe. And so that meant they would visually check him. For the, the first year he went, he went to the infirmary every night. (laughs) <laughs> they checked him to make sure his pump was still on and he was okay. I thought he would hate that, but he said it was the best because it was air conditioned in the infirmary. So he was very happy. Um, and then after that, it was school trips. Um, I did not chaperone in high school. He was on the wrestling team and he would do, I, they never did this in my high school, but they, the sports teams would sometimes go overnight.
0: Mm-hmm. They'd raise
1: money to stay in hotels. And then when he was 16, he went with that overnight camp to Israel for a month. And that was a huge turning point for us because once he came home and once he did that, you know, successfully with diabetes with no incident, I kind of felt like I couldn't hover. And that was really a turning point for us. I actually turned off the Dexcom High Alert for that school year. And then his senior year of college, excuse me, his senior year of high school, our plan all along was that he would be 100 percent independent. I was here he calls it customer support. I was here to help if he, <laughs> if he asked me, right. and of course for emergencies. And so that was really tough for me to just zip my lip. That was the hardest part was to shut up yeah. you know, at dinner. Are you bolusing? Did you do it? Do you have your stuff? Are you okay? No, couldn't say any of that. And that was really tough, but that's how we did it. And then by the time he left for college, he spent the summer before college as a lifeguard at that sleepaway camp. So he was gone for almost nine weeks. He came home, he packed, he went to school. It was really gradual and then all at once.
0: Well, I'm sure you missed him while he was gone too. I miss him
1: all the time.
0: Yeah. Now, do you follow his Dexcom now?
1: I don't. I don't. Um, We decided... When he came home from Israel, we had that discussion. We have a discussion at the beginning of every school year, starting in kindergarten. What are your What are your diabetes goals for this year? Um, you know, sometimes it was he wanted to buy cafeteria food, or he wanted to be more independent, or stay after school, or whatever. And junior year of high school, he said to me, "I don't want you to follow me in college." And I said, "Well, if you can do okay until then, I won't." And so I don't.
0: So he he earned that privilege.
1: He did. I, I do. I cheat every once in a while. And I do look at clarity, which will let you Dexcom clarity will let you look back in time, but nothing real time. So my feeling is if I see that he's really flailing, really bad, I will say something, but I haven't yet. And by that, <laughs> I mean, like my really flailing by my standards are probably not other people's standards. That would have to be like super high, dangerous, you know, for two days or something like that.
0: Well, my advice to keep Benny safe is to make sure he sleeps with someone every night.
1: <laughs> I took a sip of water that's, What was I thinking.
0: That that's a real suggestion. You want someone with your son. Now it could be a roommate he that a knows roommate. what's Thank going you on. Very much. Well, that's what I was talking about.
1: <laughs> of course, you were.
0: You know what? I got that joke uh, from Bruce Buckingham, and oh. it's not a joke. He's a famous for the listeners. He's a very famous uh, pediatric diabetologist from Stanford and he used to tell parents at these parent nights, you know, getting your kid ready for college, he'd say to them and he was serious. It's a great line. Back then they didn't have CGM. They didn't have alerts and alarms. Um, so you can tell Benny that I said that too. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, let's finish up with uh, something that you wanted to talk a little bit about. You know, you, you said when, you know, when you go in to see the doctor, uh, you know, for maybe, three, four times a year, you get 15, 20 minutes. What happens when you leave and what other support systems are out there, what to do and what to avoid?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as you listen to this podcast, for some folks, Steve, you're the only person perhaps talking to them about diabetes in their life besides their healthcare provider. That's what I found with my show is that a lot mm-hmm. of people say, like, this is the only conversation I had about diabetes except for a couple times a year with the endo. And I think the, the advice I give people is, you know, find some local communities. There are people out there. Um, there are meetups. There are conferences. There are ways to get in touch. Um, you know, find if it's podcasts, if it's books. And, and, and I would encourage you, find what speaks to you. You know, I'm not for everybody. Right? That's fine. Um, You know, there are lots of different resources. So find what speaks to you and dive in because there are within this giant, wonderful diabetes community, there are sub communities and there are groups for people with children under the age of three. There are groups for kids going to college. There, you know, there's a lot out there. I think checking your sources. As Stephen, I have already touched on, you know, there's a lot of bad information out there. So Mm -hmm. making sure if you're getting any kind of advice, um, it never hurts to say, where did you find that out? Or can you send me more information? I know we're a little touchy in this age of do your own research, but I always ask, right? Where did you hear that? What's your source on that? And make sure you understand where the information is coming from. Do not be afraid to call your endocrinologist. Um, I run a very large Facebook group in the Charlotte, North Carolina area for parents of kids with type 1. And they'll ask us questions and we'll say, you got to call the endo on that one. Mm -hmm. And it has not occurred to them that they're allowed to. They know how busy you all are. And a lot of people are just afraid to call in because they don't want to bug you with a question about adjusting a basal rate. But that's exactly what the doctor should be doing.
0: Yeah, you're right. I'm
1: here to help you. Maybe what, what adhesive might work better or a funny book to read or something like that. But right, that kind of stuff, you got to call the doctor and get off Facebook for. What they but have to I, do
0: is anytime there's a non-medical question, hey, go call Stacy Sims.
1: <laughs> you know, you laugh. But one of the things that's been wonderful, I'm a collector of information. I'm a very curious person. And so my sons lived with type one for, I don't know, 17 years now. I feel like I can send, I may not have the answer, but I can send you to the right place. Like I can, yeah. you know, I can find the right people and put you together. And I really enjoy doing that. So you can email me anytime and I will find the, I won't have the answer, but I may be able to find it.
0: Well, same with being a doctor, you know, I don't know all the answers and I'll say, listen, I need to get back to you and you might want to call this person. Yeah. And if, if you ever have a medical question, feel free to call me, Stacy um stacy it's been such a pleasure talking to you uh and we now know that you go to therapy <laughs> you, you and your husband have a strong marriage you won't let benny sleep with any women at college and what else you're not you've you've avoided being a nudge and I not following that. him so no i without putting all kidding aside you're a great mother and your husband gets kudos too and benny's gonna go far in life you know you've set him up for that
1: I hope so. And if I could just add real quick, Steve, the one thing that I'm also working on, I'd love for people to to check this out. Um, I'm doing a new event called Mom's Night Out, which is for moms of kids with diabetes, and it's one of those resources that we talked about outside of the doctor's office, where you can find people who get it. Um, we're we're traveling around the country. We may be coming to a city near you, so definitely look for that. But I may take you up on your offer, Steve, because I got to tell you, even after all this time, you know, living with type one, it's relentless. And you Mm -hmm. never feel like you're doing enough. And I think as parents, we never feel like we're doing enough. This new phase with Benny out of the house, as good as, as well as he's doing and as good as he feels, I am still not, I'm not there yet. I'm still adjusting big time. So I may take you up on that.
0: Well, um, if you do get out to San Diego and organize an event, we could certainly help. Oh, wonderful. Tons of people there. And also for the listeners, um, we do who have not really familiar with tcoid we have a awesome video vault uh and type one track type two vault and we have lots of good videos on there And we try to infuse humor as you know so um stacy thank you so much for being on it it was fun talking to you and i learned a lot myself
1: well thank you so much
0: all bye bye